Let's do this. Kelsey Talking Podcast by the state of I'm David Staples, and I'm here today with the Bruce. Is that bells in the background, Bruce? Is that your... No, that's the doorbell. Per later. Okay. All right. I get the I get all the packages because the front door is right out there. None of them are for me. I just got them. <laughs> yeah. I receive I, them. I don't actually get them, if you follow me. Every husband you know, in North America knows the feeling and is nodding their head right now, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Glitters. Well, there's, Go ahead. There's two uh, kids in the basement also, so everything everything is for somebody else. I see. So it is. So it is. Uh, I don't need any more stuff anyway. i got lots of stuff. Don't we all? So say mm-hmm. we all. Great George Carlin says, get your junk out of here so I can put my stuff there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, again, we're trying to go live, but it seems like, I don't know. I don't know, Bruce. I do not know. I have no faith in this whole whole thing. Hopefully it's going to work out one of these days. But um, if it doesn't work, then we'll do, let's do a trial run in another spot with maybe Craig involved and see if we can work through what the secret handshake is. I thought I'd done that already. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go, Bruce. We are live. Sweet. We are live, my friend. Live and highly professional at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should start talking about the hockey game. Maybe we should stop going live. This is this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. And because it was a four-three Oilers win, I'm going to uh, we're going to do two good things each, and I'm just going to tweet out this link, Bruce, right now. All right. Go for it. All right. So you, why don't you start off with a good thing as I take care of this business? Sure. I'm going to start with a good thing. Uh, I'm going to single out a couple of Oilers veterans, but my first one that I'm going to single out is Alex Chason, who uh, had a very successful uh, trip to his hometown of Montreal, scoring his 100th career assist and 200th career point on the same play uh, in the game on Monday. And this afternoon, he followed up with his 101st career goal, followed by his 101st career assist. Now, there's a balanced scorer for you. And uh, just some good, hard, intelligent grinding. And that's what Alex Chason brings pretty much every time. You know what you're going to get out of Alex Chason. And it's not necessarily going to be uh, pulsating, uh, exciting, uh uh, exciting both ways hockey he l- takes care of business in his own end and he grinds the boards and he grinds the the, the uh uh the tough areas and uh he got his goal uh just basically a half decent play where he cut across the slot and held the puck and he shot it and he got a bit of a bounce and uh, uh tied the game at, at one to one and i actually liked his assist more where uh on the power play where Chase Hunt does a lot of his best work where uh, Connor McDavid shoveled the puck into the crease and nobody could find it. And there was goalie was looking for it, two or three halves, a couple of Oilers, and it was Chase Hunt who got a stick in and managed to poke it free and across the across the uh, uh, Royal Road to Leon Dreisaitl who was hanging around on the other side and he just punched it home from there. But it was... Uh, Originally, they called it unassisted because I think they thought the Montreal scorers thought the Montreal defender, Evans, had had uh, cleared it out of there. But I saw it all along as Chason's play. 
And certainly the puck went to a place where Chase on would want it to go and where Evans wouldn't want it to go on to be on dry saddle stick five feet from the net. <laughs> so uh, I think they got it right. It took them a while to get the scoring play and they, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Chase on finished up then with a, with a goal and assist. And I thought an overall uh, uh, pretty, pretty solid performance. Couple of shots, couple of hits, and he was one oiler who didn't take shortcuts today. And I thought there was quite a number of them who did, but we'll leave that for <laughs> later in the conversation. Well, it's even worth mentioning at all. It was Edmonton's A team against Montreal's B team, right? Like it was just such a in weird theory. kind of game, was it not? It just, it was a, it, it just, it just. It was it was like I was grading this game, Bruce, and honestly, I at, at times I was having a little bit of a hard time concentrating on it. So mm-hmm. um, you weren't the only one. Yes. Quite a few players had that issue also. Okay, Bruce, we, we got the comments coming. You can go to the, yourself if you want to get another split screen going there, Bruce. Um, oh yeah, you, yeah. Zigfield says hi, David and Bruce. Hi, Zigfield. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So we're getting the comments, so you can read them as we go along here. Okay, my my good thing, my first good thing, Bruce, is the Oilers' physical play. Although it wasn't a particularly intense game, the Oilers threw some really hard hits in that game, including one by Chase on on the boards on Ben Sherratt. And, and right. I particularly like it, Bruce, when the Montreal villains, who I you know they're 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 physical players who aren't really villains; they're just their physical players. Mm-hmm. Some of them maybe are a little bit villainous now and then, like the odd slew foot by Philip Deneau on Leon Dreisaitl comes to mind, or the repeated cross-checks from Shea Weber are a bit villainous. But Edmonton got it, got theirs back a little bit tonight, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, on the lists, uh, there was the, the chase-on hit on Sherratt. Kulikov nailed Corey Perry on a pinch play, which I liked. Um, Larson blasted Arturi Lekanen with a good hit. Darnell Nurse also caught Corey Perry. It's almost knee on knee that one. It was a you know Perry made a move at the last second and but Nurse got him pretty good lower body hit we'll call it on uh, Perry to wipe him out. And my perhaps my favorite was more of the same kind of meanness meanish streak we've been seeing from Connor McDavid lately. Four cross checks in a row, uh, which is apparently legal now in the NHL, Bruce. You can you can throw you can hammer a guy with four cross checks in his back and knock him to the ice, and that's not a penalty in the NHL anymore. Mm-hmm. So McDavid is taking advantage of this rule change, and he hammered Thomas Tatar to the ice with that. So um, not an intense game, not not a physical game in general, but I did really enjoy uh, those nasty plays by the Oilers on the bad guys, the Montreal Canadiens. And and to me, uh, the Canadians have kind of taken the place of the Vancouver Canucks as the team with a lot of agitators and hitters. You know, the old Canucks mm-hmm. in the early 2010s. Anaheim Ducks more recently with Bieksa and Kessler, players like that. Montreal's got a lot of those players. Most of them were sitting tonight, fortunately. And uh, Edmonton uh, took a, took their pound of flesh What's your second good thing, Bruce? Uh, I'm going to single out another another veteran, uh, Dmitry Kulikov. Uh, I thought he had a pretty solid game today. I thought he was, uh, well, he got an assist with a good headman pass that led to the chase on goal. And he, uh, uh, I, I thought he, uh, he made a really great defensive stop 
that I thought saved it. Looked like an almost sure goal. I think it was Corey Perry that was trying to stuff it in. And I thought this was the game where he was first time I think that I would say this. I thought he had a stronger game than Adam Larson did on that pairing. Yeah, I fair think enough. Larson's been carrying Kulikov, uh, but to a small degree. You know, it's like fifty-five, forty-five, or sixty-forty. It's not like one good guy and one terrible guy. But today, I thought Kulikov stepped up and uh, and uh, put in a pretty solid day's work. I know that he had great numbers, couple hits. And that uh, block shot and and that assist. Yeah, no, I agree, Bruce. Larson um, Larson was fine. He did have that third period turnover that um, Cole Caulfield scooped up and then went around McLeod, who stumbled on the play, and and Caulfield got a Caulfield got a very different uh, difficult shot on net. So Adam Larson didn't right. keep his clean sheet as he usually does, which is no major mistakes on grade A chances against a clean sheet, and he did not succeed this game at that. Maybe we'll talk a little, I'll just write down this note, maybe we'll talk a little later about Larson's potential contract, Bruce. I don't know if we've talked about that yet. My, mm-hmm. uh, my second good thing was Leon Dreisaitl. And, uh, you know, he started out kind of slow, but... Um, man, did he ever come on in this game? He just made some, you know, he he won the game essentially for the Oilers uh, with that overtime play. It was just such a fantastic play, but there were some plays before then that I want to focus on. Um, the the power, power play goal, is it the second power play goal that the Oilers scored? Let me just check here, Bruce. He scored, uh, he yeah, scored it. He scored the scramble goal on the power play, which was, which mm-hmm. was really earned in a lot of ways by Chase on, I think, with his grinding at the net and McDavid having the smarts to throw it in there at the net during a moment of chaos. Um, but Leon uh, scored that goal, put put it in the net, which is always a it's a pretty major accomplishment in the NHL. It's the hardest thing to do is score a goal, and he did there. In Late in the third period, though, Bruce, he almost won it there. It was uh, the puck goes into Montreal's end, and uh, Leon gets in a, in a puck battle with Yoel Armia of the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> essentially uh, throws him to the ice with his arm and puck protection just by, you know, just the strength of the thrust of his puck protection and his, and his arm. And his, there was no penalty there at all. It was an honest play. But he just cast off Armia, chucks him to the ice and uh, put the puck back to Tyson Berry who set up Darnell Nurse in the slot. And Nurse put it off the post. It was a it was a great shot by Nurse. Typ- typical, we can say this now, a typically fantastic Darnell Nurse shot. Uh, but it all started off with just a ginormous puck battle win by Leon Dreisaitl. One of the best puck battle wins of the year. It's two games in a row. He's had uh, monster puck battle wins like that that are, deserve their own little highlight reel. Moving on to the overtime That was goal. three separate puck battles in a row, really. Like Go ahead. He just stayed with the play, and he stayed with the play, and he stayed with the play, and, and he beat off like two or three different different Montreal checkers in the process. And a couple of times I thought, oh, he's lost that battle. And then uh, he uh, uh, somehow stayed on the puck, and he wound up feeding it back to Barry, who fed it over to Nurse for that rocket that hit, I, I call it the joint between the uh, crossbar and the post. And the goalie made just a little piece of it on the way in, but uh, that could have been the game right there with about 20 seconds left. Yeah, 
it was uh, it was a really fine play. It would have been a great way to win the game, but we came up with an, an even better way to win the game in some ways because the amount of skill slash uh, courage that Drysaddle showed on the winning goal was impressive to say the least. Tyson Tyson Barry um, allows Cole Caulfield in a little too tight. It wasn't quite a great A shot. It was from the high slot, but it was a little too close for my liking. Got a very difficult shot on um, on Mike Smith, which Mike Smith fought off. And uh, Caulfield, he he is a good player, isn't he, Bruce? I I mean, there's been this debate over the years: should the Oilers have taken Broberry or should they have taken Caulfield? Anyway, Caulfield's making his mark now. We'll see. Or wasn't it? Or no, Zegris. that's a different year. Holloway. Or what year are we talking about? Caulfield was, was taken. Zegris, it was Zegris that went right after Broberg. Oh, Zegris and then Caulfield. Caulfield, and same draft. Caulfield. But some people thought mm-hmm. the order should have taken Caulfield or Zegris. So it was one or the other. Anyway, there was complaining about both. Caulfield is a, a heck of a player. In the overtime, Mike Smith fights off Caulfield's shot. Tyson Berry, to his credit, such a fine offensive hockey player. He's thinking attack. He gets the puck and he whips that puck. Uh, lofts it way up ice on a stretch pass to Drysaddle, which Caulfield tips a little bit, but Drysaddle gets it. the puck. Drysaddle's at the blue line and moving towards the blue line, and he's he can easily go offside on this play, but he reaches behind him and scoops the puck up and with one movement pulls it over the blue line before he crosses the blue line to keep himself offside in the same movement, just as he's about to take a hit, which he knows he's going to be taking. He makes a perfect pass to Cahoon, who Dreisaitl, mm-hmm. he knows he's there because Leon Dreisaitl has eyes of, you know, 500 eyes in his head. And um, he he puts it over, perfect uh, pass, perfect heat on the pass to Cahoon, who makes a, a, a really fine play himself. It's not the kind of play I'm expecting from, I'm almost expecting Tobias Reader hands from Cahoon at this point, but he makes an excellent play, deking the goalie. Um, I think it's a backhand to forehand and puts it puts it in. So and Leon take for all his trouble, Leon then takes a pretty hard hit. Fantastic play, yeah, fantastic from big, player from Big Sherrod. Hey, what what I liked about the play there was that Barry sent a uh, uh, looked like a well placed uh, aerial pass to Drysaddle steaming up the wing, and I thought it might be a breakaway. Like I thought it was behind the defenseman and Caulfield. Yeah. <clears throat> just waved at it with his stick and got a piece of it and he he, he didn't stop the pass but he, he he deflected it so that instead of being in front of Drysaddle it came up behind him and just how quickly Leon adjusted to what may have been a breakaway pass for him to instead of having to control the play and then make a different play to send a teammate in also on a breakaway uh, and he just he just adapted to the change in circumstances like a real pro and of course he is one and uh that was the play that made the goal that made the win indeed the, a comment from uh, someone by the name of a uh, puffy lover says do we have an update on holloway's injury lately um i don't know if the last i saw was uh earlier this week there was a tweet about Holloway practicing on the ice with Bakersfield. I don't know if he played his first game yet or not. Do you know that, Bruce? Have they played? Oh, I think his first game is going to be Thursday. Uh, and I heard um, uh, Jay Woodcroft on uh, Bob Stoffer's Oilers Now on Monday. And the indication I got was that he was going to, Dylan Holloway was going to go right in between uh, uh, 
uh, uh, the two big guns on the first line, uh, Cooper Marodi and uh, uh, Tyler Benson. Makes sense. Where McLeod had played. So they haven't really filled that spot, and they're, they're going to give him a look there from the sounds of it, and that sounds great. They have three games in four days this weekend to close out their season against Henderson Silver Knights, uh, the farm team of Vegas Golden Knights, uh, with first place on the line. Yeah, cool. So they're still in. They're still in the hunt, and they're also going to have a playoffs, a small playoffs down there in the in the Western Pacific Division of the uh, AHL. So all that means a little bit more experience for all the guys, but especially for Dylan Holloway, that's a good thing. Get him a few games of pro hockey. Hopefully, he's good to go. He's been off the ice for a while, but. Uh... His talent is immense. Speed is immense. Fast player, aggressive player. We'll see how that goes. I suspect it will go well. Bruce, let's move on to the bad thing portion of the podcast. What is your bad thing? Well, I've got two bad things, but they're both kind of the same thing. Bad turnovers by Oilers defensemen uh, leading directly to goals. One by Tyson Berry, who under pressure uh, fired a very... um, prayer type pass right into his own slot where Cole Caulfield uh, the new sniper extraordinaire of the Cavs was hanging out and Caulfield I'm not sure if he even took time to thank Barry for the gift before he made the quick deposit past Mike Smith it was just like Barry passed it to Caulfield and Caulfield shot and scored well good pass if you're playing for the other team if you're playing for the Oilers not so good and then there was an ugly turnover by Caleb Jones on the on the three three, where a puck skipped by um, Ethan Bear and it went to Jones, and I'm still not sure what the heck happened there, David. It looked like he almost double hit it, like he tried to shoot it and he caught it with his own stick and he just sort of turned it backwards and Montreal was on. And this time they had to make a couple passes before they put it in the net. But it was who, just who double hit it, Bruce Jones? Jones. Oh, no, I yeah, think he I, tried to pass it, and it got tipped immediately. By a Montreal guy in yeah. front of him? I, I was yeah, looking for that. Like, I, I wasn't sure if he just kind of <laughs> whiffed it, and they kind of caught it with the backhand on the way down, or if uh, the other guy got a piece of it. Cause, uh, yeah, I saw it as, anyway. a, as a picked off. This is as a, men's, as a terrible men's league defenseman as I am. That happens to me about 15 <sighs> times a game, where, mm-hmm. where I think I'm making a pass, and they, and they pick it off my hockey stick like that. So I, that's what I saw. Maybe I maybe it was a little PTSD on my part, <laughs> but that's how I saw Unfort- it. Unfortunately, it's about Exhibit Q on uh, Jones' rap sheet. It plays why um, head coach Dave Tippett doesn't trust this player as much as he might because he keeps making these glaring mistakes that wind up in the back of Edmonton's net, and this was another one of those. And he's uh, he's got to iron those errors out of his game and i'm not seeing enough progress i'm seeing good plays from the guy but there's these these as i say glaring mistakes that occur on too regular a basis and too often they end up with a minus one i actually thought both he and bear looked real bad on that play but uh, yeah bear particularly jones bear didn't stick with his man on that play first i'm glad that you're the one criticizing jones tonight because i feel like i've raised it too often this year and and Maybe I'm just reacting to, like, there's a, there is a contingent of, of fans on the Oilers right now who think Jones is maybe the best, like, one of the best defensemen on the team or, or you know, it's just crazy talk to think about him not in the lineup. And it's, so I don't want to 
address that. Like people are entitled to their opinions, and I find that with defensemen, especially because because the statistics are particularly crappy for rating defensemen, opinions about defensemen mm-hmm. are all, are all over the place. It's the one area right. where we are least guided, I think, by good statistical evidence in the generally available stats. But there are yeah. numbers that people put invest a lot in, and they and and there's a group of fans who think Jones is is really good based on those numbers. We have, you know, our numbers are are just are based on video review. They're just based on looking at the scoring chances for and against, and, and like a really uh, like an honest, heartfelt attempt. Like we want to get this right. We go back and forth. I'm not trying to pick on players. We want to get it right. And what we've seen with Jones and Barry both of them, and they've come up repeatedly in the podcast, is these guys make a lot of defensive mistakes. And in the playoffs, wow, you can't have it. You can't have um, yeah. turnovers like that costing you goals against. And so, we'll, you know, Slater Cuckoo is going to play, I guess, uh, this coming game, or the next game, the game against Vancouver, Tippett mentioned he might play. And uh, we'll see how that mm-hmm. goes. I mean, Chris Russell, if he's healthy, is obviously a... a He's no Caleb Jones moving the puck. He's not even close. Caleb Jones can really make a pass. And again, if you have listened to this podcast, you know, heading into this year, I was really bullish on Jones because he's such a fine puck moving defenseman. And I didn't see Mm -hmm. this kind of jitteriness on defense. I I don't think it was there last year as much or the year before, but he struggled and um, he need, if he can, if he can get it together in the playoffs, that'd be great. And same with Tyson Berry. Get it together in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Buckle down. Don't make those mistakes early in the game. Any time in the game, and we'll we'll all be happy. Uh, my bad thing, Bruce. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. My bad thing. Montreal rested a lot of players, and um, just tons of players. Petrie, Jeff Petrie, Tyler Toffoli. Uh, there's also guys injured injured right now. Who knows how much they're injured? There probably are injured. Shea Weber, um, Price, uh, who else we got? Gallagher, he's injured, that's for sure. Yes. It's just so uh they they just they probably had, I don't know, half their team out tonight and it was their B team tonight. So that's one way of approaching a game like this. Heading into the playoffs, rest a lot of guys. And it could be that it could also be the case that Montreal's just a lot more banged up than the owners are right now. And the owners did sit Kyler Yamamoto and, um, because he's, he's banged up. And maybe none of the other owners mm-hmm. are really nursing any major injuries. Maybe they're all good to go. Although what we hear, you know, the, the hockey word is at this time of year, every player is banged up and nursing an injury, right? We've, how many times have we heard that? So, well, yeah, I, yeah I, I think I would have preferred to see Dave Tippett take that to heart. And especially when, it, um, you know, they, Montreal put in this grinder, aggressive grinder, um, what's his name? Belzeal, Delzeal. Belzeal, yeah, he played uh, two thirds of the Montreal power play with four minutes to go in the game. So he's an aggressive. He's an aggressive young player trying to make a mark, and and initially mm-hmm. it looked like he might have hit Mike Smith in the head um, mm-hmm. with his skate. I think he, there was contact there, but it turns out what Tippett said after the game and Louis DeBrus said during the, the broadcast is that he had snowed, uh, shot snow into Mike Smith's face. So that's what was causing Smith's agitation during the game. But but it just the play brought to mind to me like why is Mike Smith even playing? There's one guy that the Oilers cannot afford to lose for the playoffs. They just cannot afford 
to not have Mike Smith. He's so crucial. (laughs) And to just the thought that he could be, have been lost. You could in a nothing game at the end of the year, Mm -hmm. he could be injured. Why are you risking that? Is it, does he really need to stay sharp by having that game? Is that really crucial? Because if it isn't sit him, don't play him. And I didn't, I didn't like that. I, I didn't think Mike, Mike Smith should have had any place in that game. He didn't look that sharp in this game, to be frank. He didn't either. But, you know, he got the he got the job done, I guess, in the end. But, yeah, the NHL, supposedly they have this rule against the number of guys you can call up after the trade deadline. It's only supposed to be four. <laughs> and I'm not sure what happened to that because yesterday the Boston Bruins played something like 17. They sat something like 17 of their regular players. And they, they had nobody left that was, you know, they're... they're you could recognize names of guys that were in their system, and there was more than one guy. His name I just didn't ring a bell at all. And somehow that four-man rule has uh, seemed to have bit the, the dust this year. But uh, I expect on Saturday we may see more of that. Uh, uh, I anticipate that uh, we might see, um, well, you mentioned Kukuk. I think we may see Bouchard in that game, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But... Uh, uh, there's. Uh, it sounds like it's full speed ahead with the main guys, though. And uh, I mean, to um, tip its credit, he cut McDavid down to 15 minutes and 12 seconds tonight, which is lowest ice time he's had in a long time, I think. Uh, but Drysaddle played 21, Nurse played almost 25, Barry played 24. You know, it didn't look too different from uh, game in March or April. What do you think? Do you think I'm going too hard on Tippett here for playing Smith, or do you generally agree, or what's your point? Well, Smith better not be playing on Saturday. Let's put it that way. (laughs) If they want him playing one of the last three games, okay. Uh, Enough, though. One's enough. Uh, They asked Tippett in the postgame if he would be be using Staylock on Saturday, and he said it wasn't the plan, so... Doesn't sound like we'll be seeing Staylock, but we well, might I see agree. Koskinen. I agree with that because I think Koskinen needs—he's got some bugs mm-hmm. in his game. He still needs to work out. They—they're you know, mm-hmm. going to probably, if they go on a long playoff run, Bruce, they're probably going to have to turn to Miko Koskinen in a game or two. So, and and he's going to have to win. So, I, I think that's a good idea to play Koskinen on Saturday night. I, I, Even in a short playoff run, because the Canadian division is starting several days behind the others, like the the. Uh, uh, playoffs in the states are starting on saturday and the regular season in canada isn't running down until next wednesday and i think they'll they'll play wednesday afternoon the last regular season game and they'll start the playoffs wednesday night so uh the you know the orders will get a decent amount of rest but uh once those playoffs start it wouldn't be surprising to me if there was a couple of back-to-backs in the north division to kind of get canada caught up to the to the states and if you're playing back-to-backs and your goal is 39 years old then your backup better be ready to roll uh mark simpson who's fault who's watching is uh asks doesn't smith tend to do better the more he plays what would you say to that bruce uh, if you're talking about the 30-year-old Mike Smith, I'd say yes. Uh, this Mike Smith, I, I, I think he responds well to playing a lot, but you don't want to overdo it at that age. Like, I wouldn't want to see the guy playing more than two games a week. Yeah. That's a nice number uh, for him. And uh, there's uh, no real need to uh, 
to go beyond that. And he, you know, he's he's shouldered uh, more than his share of the load since he came back. He's basically been starting three out of four. He, so in a lot of four game weeks that he plays three. So that, you know, he's getting lots of ice time. I would say at this age, probably at any age, he plays best when he's healthy, and. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be the prime directive right now for the Oilers is a healthy Mike Smith. He he had a terrible st- streak of games last December, uh, not last December, but previous year December when he got injured and mm-hmm. looked like he was banged up and injured. And he, pff, thank goodness it was Dave Tippett who who believed so strongly in Mike Smith. He, he was going to stick with him no matter what because I would have sent him to the minors probably if I was running the team. So good thing I wasn't. Mm-hmm. It could make that people can make that point repeatedly, and that would be a fair comment. Um, mm-hmm. The he, but when he's been healthy in the last two or three years, even even as as he has had poor save percentages of nine hundred around nine hundred previous to this year for two years running, he's had great streaks, and he can get hot and he can play great. So, you know, we I guess we should have a little faith in Dave Tippett and Mike Smith that maybe they know what's best for Mike Smith. And um, I've got this figured out and dialed in, so we'll, uh, I'll leave it at that. What's your number? Yeah, my number is 48, and that is the number of points scored by defenseman Tyson Berry uh, this season. Uh, he is the uh, uh, free agent, one-year, $3.75 million contract that was signed on day two of free agency back on October 10th. And why 48 is significant is that with the two points he got today that raised him to 48, it put him one ahead, New York Rangers' Adam Fox, and into the NHL lead for point scoring by a defenseman, 48 points. And the Oilers have one game to play. Barry's got 48. Adam Fox has 47. His season's done. Victor Hedman has 45. His season's done. Chris Letang has 45. His season's done. John Carlson has 44. His season's done. And the only guy really with a crack at him is Cale McCarr of Colorado, who in playing just 42 games this year has 43 points. So he's a point-a-game defender, Cale McCarr, and a pistol of a player. Yeah. And they have two games left. So it's not impossible that McCarr could get five points, six points in two games. But right now the odds are very strong in favor that the Oilers will have the first defenseman on their team to lead the NHL in scoring since Paul Coffey in 1985-86 when Coffey scored 48 goals not points and 90 assists for 138 points in one of the greatest seasons in the history of uh, defensemen in the National Hockey League. Tyson Berry is not that guy uh, but he came to town with a reputation of being able to put points on the board and he has done it. Doesn't get a lot of credit for it in some corners, but he sure just keeps racking up the points. And you know, David, I could—I was saying to, to my wife, we were watching the face-off for overtime, and Barry was out there instead of Nurse. Usually they start overtime with Nurse, and Barry was out there, and Drysaddle came over, and he put his hand behind his glove, and he said something to Barry. And I said to my wife, Mion just said to Barry, get me the puck and I'll get your, I'll get your point to put your head in the scoring race. And like, 30 seconds later it was a done deal and that's exactly how it worked out so I was laughing pretty good at that moment but uh, it, it uh, pretty significant ac- accomplishment 
Leading all defensemen in point scoring? Pretty good thing on your oh. resume when you're looking for a new contract, too, Bruce. Yeah, exactly. NHL teams tend to pay for points, and uh, mm-hmm. I think he's going to get a payday. There was some concerns. Um, Oscar Kleffbaum, <laughs> Oscar Kleffbaum uh, leaving the power play. You know, he had done such mm-hmm. a fine job as the uh, metronome at the top, set, you know, passing the puck with such consistency, yep. stroking those passes to McDavid and Dreisaitl. Tyson Berry's power play is... is Almost every bit as good as the power play Different. last year. They're at twenty eight point one percent, Bruce. Uh, mm-hmm. First in the NHL again. So this is a we're going to go on a historic run of power playing here, and it'd be you know we'll see if if Barry's still on it next year. But if he's not, well, I suspect we'll see Nurse or uh, Evan Bouchard. So I think the good th- the good times are going to keep rolling. But let's see what happens in the playoffs first, because everything can change in the playoffs. And if Tyson Berry mm-hmm. comes up and has a monster playoffs, that could change the Oilers' thinking on him as well. And we'll we'll see about that. Yeah, we'll see where he gets the monster contract. But I mean, if you just just look at it in terms of this year, the one-year deal he signed, and the and the niche that he filled here with Clefbaum being out, and to my mind, Bouchard not be, yet being ready to take on that magnitude of a role. With the Oilers as a rookie, that would that would be a very high expectation of Evan Bouchard, and I have high expectations for Evan Bouchard. But uh, try and keep him realistic. Uh, I think uh, Barry's delivered the goods, and it may be a one and done, and maybe that's for the best. But as you say, if he goes to the uh, free agent pool as being the NHL points leader in defenseman, someone, somewhere, is going to pay him, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll see where where that winds up being, but uh, uh, 48 points in Edmonton, and unless McCarr really closes the gap on him, I'm thinking on Saturday if he's out in front and it's a done deal, uh, he might sit for Bouchard in that game Saturday against Vancouver. We'll see how they play that. Bruce, my number is two, and um, this is in trying to put Connor McDavid's unreal season in in some perspective and my number two has to do with dominance and scoring in the art ross race for the top point scorer in the nhl only two players have had clearly better dominance in any single season than uh, Connor mcdavid this year and I define dominance this way in point scoring. It's just how much do you beat your rivals by? How much do you beat the next mm-hmm. guys down? And you can either just compare it to the, the guy who's just behind you, like Connor right. McDavid compared to Leon Dreisaitl. But, mm-hmm. but a reader by the name of Darren DeLiva actually compared McDavid to the, uh, compared every scorer each year in NHL history to the, ne- to the uh, next four guys behind okay. him in the race. And I think that's the superior way to do it. So you're taking, in this case, you would take McDavid and you'd compare him to Dreisaitl, Marner, Matthews, and Kane, is it? Marshawn. Or Marshawn, whoever the next four are. You'd average those four, their points, and then you'd compare them to McDavid's point scoring okay. total. So when Darren DeLiba did that for this season and for every other season in NHL history, only two players in NHL history have had a, had a bigger margin over the, over the pack in scoring, Bruce. The, and those two players are, not surprisingly, Wayne Gretzky, who did it six times, and Gordie Howe, who did it once. 
Gordy Howe in 52, 53. 1952, 53. 95, 90, 95, 95 points. points. And he, uh, the, the next four guys had an average of 62.5 points, according to Darren's work. Um, oh. Gretzky, that was, uh, Howe had 52% more points than the, than the, right. uh, the next four. In Gretzky's best year, Bruce, 86, 87, he had 183 points. The mm-hmm. next four guys averaged 107 points. Gretzky had a 71% better than the, than the right. next guys. 71%. So, and in Gretzky's other six seasons when he had um, these super dominant seasons, he was at 71%, 69%. 67%, 63%, 61%, and 54%. That's how much he was ahead of the pack. So where does McDavid fit in? Connor McDavid this year, Bruce, um, th- and this was done before tonight's game. He had 103. Right. So this is when he had 103 points, not 105. He had 103, and the pack was averaging uh, 71. 44% more points than the other guys, than, than the other top scoring group in the NHL. Connor McDavid, forty-four percent more. That is such an unreal oh, number. And again, only mm-hmm. two other players in NHL history have ever been more dominant on the attack. What we've witnessed this year is historic and utterly special. I got into a conversation on Twitter uh, with someone saying that if you take away Drysaddle as a teammate, that McDavid is far farther ahead of any other player on any other team, uh, except um, uh, except Gretzky. And I countered with the 1952-53 season, which is why I have these numbers on the tip of my tongue. Gordy Howe, 49 goals, 95 points. Ted Lindsay, second place, 71 points, but of course he was a teammate, line mate of Gordy Howe's. And third place, Maurice the Rocket Richard, way back at 61 points. So Gordy's margin over any non Red Wing player was over 50%, 95 to 61. I think it was 52%. Now, the, the method that you said, averaging the next four, it was also in that range of 50 odd percent. And just to put a little perspective on that, Ted Lindsay, who finished second, and Maurice the Rocket Richard, who finished third, were so great that they both have major trophies named after them today. Maybe it's high time we named a major trophy after the great Gordie Howe. Indeed, good idea. <laughs> good idea. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not big on taking out the teammates. I mean, because it's not like mm-hmm. here's the thing about Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, they're both competing for the scoring championship. In that sense, they're, you know, they're. They're on the same team, but they're they're fighting for this this honor themselves. But when you're with you, when you're with a great teammate, he also helps you score. So it's a two way street in a lot of ways. Like right, there is back and forth on this. It's not. It's just not Connor McDavid dragging along Leon Draisaitl the whole way. I've noticed a few no. good plays from Leon Draisaitl this year that wouldn't have been goals if mm-hmm. not for his, you know, execution or like uh, shooting, um, his unbelievable passing, which has these have all benefited Connor McDavid. So there's some people who want to. Oh, yeah who want to just say you should, you know, that's unfair to McDavid because he's Drake, you know, mm-hmm. and unfair to, I guess, um, Gretzky because he, Yari Curry was, was his line mate. But Oof, it's, it's so common to see. <laughs> it's so common to see the second guy in scoring mm-hmm. is a teammate. Yeah. Uh, like Detroit, like, the whole production line was one, two, three, one year. Yeah. 
So, and in '86, '87, Gretzky's most dominant season by margin of uh, of victory, at least as a percentage, uh, he won by 79 points one year. He, he only won by 75. But that was a year that scoring fell off, and Wayne went from over 200 points to a mere 183. But the second place scorer dropped all the way from 141 to 108. Like the whole league, the scoring started to come down in 86, 87, and and uh, Curry had 108, and uh, Lemieux and Marc Messier tied for third at 107. So the Oilers had three in the top four uh, in in 86, 87, and they were still you know the predominant scoring team in in the NHL at that time, of course, and. Uh, that was Gretzky's last scoring title as an Oiler. The next year, he had a couple injuries, and Mario went supernova, and that was the end of uh, of his seven in a row Art Ross trophies. All right, to end off tonight, Bruce, we're just going to go through a few uh, comments from readers. Okay. Okay. Chad, well, and I... you read them, David. I can't see the comments. I can see the YouTube, but the comments are just—I can't see them You're, at all. You, so. you may need to make your uh, your. Um, screen bigger just pull it out wider they're on the side okay. and if you pull it if you just oh, okay on the side eh? chad nygaard says asks okay. bruce do you see him now can the oil beat the okay. leafs bruce can the oil beat the leafs any thoughts bruce uh yes i have thoughts yes the orders can beat the leafs I'm not sure that I would give them 50-50 on it but i i you know i wouldn't sort of say oh well once we get to the leafs we're done uh, I, th- you know, the uh, uh, the Leafs arguably have a deeper team than the Oilers, uh, and they have a couple of transcendental stars at the top of their team too. In in uh, Matthews and Marner, uh, Tavares isn't so bad either. Uh, and where Toronto has the advantage, I think, is they they have a deeper second line than than Edmonton, but. Uh, Toronto's got no McDavid. I mean, due respect to Matthews, and I got plenty of respect for Matthews. He's no Connor McDavid. And I would say Mitch Marner is no Leon Drysaddle, and that's with due respect to Mitch Marner. But I think the Oilers have uh, the highest of high-end talent uh, in the league. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a very close series when they play, if they play. Um, I hope that the Leafs and Montreal have the all-time most trench warfare like seven game brutal playoff hockey series uh that is imaginable and is historic in terms of its uh, physical play and uh soften the whoever wins up for the oilers the uh i'm i'm glad edmonton is not playing the habs in the first round i think it's going to it's going to be black and blue hockey uh brian burke's going to like those games and uh I think it would have taken would have taken something out of uh, let me shut this off. Would have taken something out of the Oilers if that had happened. Um, Bruce, the Leafs have incredible uh, forward lines. They, they really are stacked at the forward lines, and, and probably uh, you know position to position comparisons. They probably come out ahead, you know, maybe ten out of twelve. But those two. Uh, that they don't come out ahead on are McDavid and Dreisaitl. And those guys, I just think, are gonna, they're going to come up monster big. I think we're going to see something special that we have never seen before from Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in these playoffs. So I wouldn't be betting against them. Do you see the comments, numbers? 
not the way they're going now. No, my computer is just as slow as anything, and I've noticed this when we've used this new program before. Yeah. Anything I'm using on the other side is just molasses. It's a memory it's hog. It's like I got a 1200 baud modem or something over yeah. there. So uh, I'm, I'm trying not to get PO'd. <laughs> Dante Sutton says, pray that Mike Smith doesn't have a Rollison incident. Dante Sutton, we will, we will indeed be praying that. Let me just see if there's any other comments. Uh, there's there's lots, but we're just getting used to this commenting part, and till uh, hopefully Bruce will, you'll be up and running too because it's, uh, yeah, it's hard for I'd me like to both to scroll and some of them as well, of course. <laughs> scroll. I'll read them later. All right, let's leave it there, Bruce. We, 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 what we'll do okay. is, uh, as people are asking about the the jets and about the orders in the Jets. I just, yeah. I don't have much to say about it. I, I, I just want to look a m- little bit more closely at where Winnipeg is right now, frankly. I haven't seen right. them in a while. Uh, they finally clinched the playoff spot. But, so I don't really have much to say about them until I dig into that a little bit more. But we'll be, we'll be doing a Jets-Oilers preview podcast for sure. And yeah. uh, we'll be getting Maybe into that. Maybe with all three time. of us, David. Yeah, with Kurt as well. That'd be a really good idea. <laughs> Alrighty, Bruce. So. Any other thoughts? Anything one, you'd like to add? One more game, Saturday afternoon, 1.30 p.m., yeah. afternoon game against the right. Canucks. What could possibly go wrong, go wrong, go wrong? I wonder if we'll Let's see say, McDavid and Dreisaitl. Well, we'll see. We'll I see. think their, their lead in the scoring race is pretty safe. <laughs> Connor, I think he's safely reached hand, that 100-point mark. On the other hand, I'm I'm battling tooth and nail in my two hockey pools, and I got Connor in both of them. So I want him to keep playing, and I want him to play 25 minutes on Saturday. But that's yeah. just me. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. All right.